Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Noonan First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermons. We're looking forward to meeting together again for in-person worship starting on Sunday, June 28th. Stay tuned for information on how that will look. We will be taking all possible steps to make sure Sunday worship is as safe for everyone as possible, but for those who either don't feel comfortable attending in-person worship at this time or are part of a particularly at-risk portion of the population, we will still be offering online worship as well. As a reminder, you can stay in touch and get all the news you need at our website, noonernfumc.org, and make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Finally, sign up to receive emails by going to our website and clicking email list under media. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll hopefully see you very soon. Today's scripture reading is an account of when Jesus met with his disciples after the resurrection. It comes from Acts 1, 4 through 10. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Welcome to the Connect service here at Noonan First United Methodist Church. I'm Lewis Jackson. I'm one of the lay speakers here at our church, and uh, it's good to be with you for this service. About six weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, and at that time, what we celebrate is the resurrection of Jesus and uh, his victory over death. After his resurrection, the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples. He appeared to some others, too, and what he would do is he would show up to encourage them and and to bless them and to prepare them to carry on his work. The next phase of God's work on earth was getting ready to launch, and the disciples were an integral part of that and, and of making that happen. Jesus had spent three and a half years with them, teaching them and discipling them, calling them into ministry, And now he returned from death in his physical resurrected body, not as a ghost, not just as a spiritual body, but a physical body that they could touch. And he appeared to various followers. Since Easter, we've heard about some of those encounters. Two weeks ago, Danny Tomlinson was here speaking, and uh, he spoke about the two disciples who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus ministered to them. Uh, Last week, we had Senior Sunday and did tributes to our graduating seniors in Brent Preach, but we've been hearing about some of these things that Jesus did after his resurrection on earth. Uh, Today, 
is Ascension Sunday. And in today's scripture reading, you heard about how in his final appearance to his disciples, Jesus spoke to them one more time and let them know what was coming to encourage them. And then he ascended up into heaven. Jesus had already commissioned them. Uh, That was in Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples. What we know is the Great Commission. Then in verse 8 of today's scripture reading, Jesus tells them this. He tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And he mentions everywhere that will take place. So in Matthew, with the Great Commission, Jesus tells them to do it, to go and make disciples. In today's passage, Jesus tells them how they will get it done. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And ten days later, it happened at Pentecost. Uh, Verse 9 says this, After Jesus told them these things, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And when I hear that, it makes me think about letting a balloon go. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a balloon, helium balloon, and you're standing out there on a clear day, maybe a cloudy day, and you let go of the balloon, and it starts rising, starts going up into the clouds and into the sky, and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and it gets harder and harder to see, and then it's gone. And that's kind of what it says that was going on in this scene. Uh, after after Jesus was gone, they were still looking up there trying to find it. And I, I almost kind of imagine that balloon kind of moment where the disciples are talking amongst themselves, and one of them says... Uh, is that Jesus? And the other one says, no, 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 that's a bird. And this one says, no, no, I'm sure that's Jesus. And meanwhile, Thomas is there saying, I seriously doubt that's Jesus. And then all of a sudden, those two angels that are there, all of a sudden, they just go, wait a minute, you're supposed to be doing things. Jesus is up in heaven, and there's work you have to do. So, uh, and by the way, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back looking like what you just saw, just in reverse. And so the disciples go, and then 10 days later, Pentecost happens. Um, We'll hear more about that next week. You probably know the story anyway, but the disciples and a bunch of others are together in one room, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised comes down on them. One of the first things that happens is they start speaking in other tongues, and that's to witness to, to those there in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And the people hear all this, uh, the gospel message preached in their own language, and they're confused, not understanding. So Peter gets up and he speaks, and he starts explaining what's going on. And in uh, Acts 2, uh, verses 32 and 33, he says this to explain what has happened. He says, God has raised Jesus to life, raised. Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of that fact. He's talking about the resurrection. And then he says this, exalted to the right hand of God, and exalted means raised up to a position of honor and authority. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That is the ascension, raised up 
Jesus, raising Jesus up to life is the resurrection. Raising him up to the right hand of the Father is what has happened at the ascension. And in this moment, Peter is describing the Trinity in one verse. God is there, Jesus is at his right hand, and Jesus' job as the risen Christ is to pour out the Holy Spirit on the disciples. To ascend means to, to raise or to move upward. And is heaven actually up, up there in the clouds somewhere? No, heaven is not a physical place, at least not yet. It's a spiritual place, and it's where God is. But we think of it as being an upward kind of place. And, and part of it is because God presents it that way in the Bible. When Jesus was being baptized, a voice came down from heaven. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven. Um, and we have the ascension here, which Jesus is taken up to heaven, um, because it makes sense for us to think of heaven that way. It makes us mindful of the way that we're supposed to be growing in stature, growing in righteousness and in holiness, moving towards what's known as sanctification, our personal holiness that God develops in us after or believers as we seek to follow him. So we have this upward mentality about heaven. And Jesus, in John 17, 1 through 5, had prepared for this. He had asked for this. When he's praying to God, he prays these words. He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, which is another way of saying raise up, shine a light on uh, your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus didn't want the glory for himself. He wanted it. Because when he is seen in that glory, he knows it will point to the Father, point to God. And Jesus says, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And we know from John chapter 1, Jesus was with God before the formation of the world, from before all time and, and to the end of all time. So what is the significance of the resurrection versus the ascension? Well, the resurrection is where Jesus was revealed as immortal, revealed as God. When he was raised from the dead, when, he, uh, when, when death was defeated through his resurrection, that confirmed that Jesus was immortal. Jesus was God. Jesus was the deity. It also was significant because it symbolizes how Jesus paid the price for our sin. And therefore, he is our Savior. The Bible says, as Jesus was raised, so shall we be raised. So Jesus was raised from the dead. He was victorious over death, and that means we can be too. That is the significance of the resurrection, that Jesus was God. The significance of the ascension was that Jesus was sovereign, that Jesus was Lord. What does that mean? How is that different? The fact that Jesus is sovereign means that Jesus has authority over all, that he pours out the Spirit who gives us God's power. Well, God's power to do what? What are we supposed to do with the power that Jesus pours into us through the Holy Spirit? Well, it's the power to speak boldly about Christ. It's the power to become aware of our sins so that we can confess and repent. It's the power sometimes to do miraculous things 
things, to heal, uh, to perform miracles. It's a power also to persevere against hardship. And the fact that we worship a sovereign God means that we worship a God who has all the power, the resources, the authority, all of that in the universe, and that he makes that available to us. The significance of the resurrection is that we have hope for our future. The significance of the ascension is that we have hope in the now. That we have power to do what we're called to do day to day to day. So that when we're in a hospital bed or we're down to our last penny, when we're in our home, terrified with fear over a virus, at any point, we worship a sovereign God who has what we need to be witnesses, to live life, to do what we're called to do in spite of all of those things. That's what we get from the ascension, from from having a God who is sovereign and Lord. There's one other aspect of Ascension Sunday that I want to talk about. And to do this, we have to go back to the Old Testament. Um, Back in the Old Testament, back in Exodus, Moses led Israel out of Egypt. After many different plagues and trials and things like that, they go through the Red Sea. God parts the water so they can walk through. When they get to the other side, Pharaoh's army tries to come after them. The sea comes back, drowns the army, and... Israel is liberated. But the problem is they kept falling into patterns of disobedience. So for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. And during that time, all kinds of crazy things happened. And if you go back to the Old Testament and look at some of the things that happened during that time, it's unbelievable stuff. When the people needed water, Moses whacked a rock, water came out of it. When they needed food, manna came down from heaven. When they needed meat, quail showed up. Um, I'm not too impressed with quail. I had it once, and it um, wasn't as good as chicken, but I think it was satisfactory for what the Israelites needed. Um, There were battles where uh, victories happened in miraculous ways. There was even a talking donkey, which is my personal favorite from all of that. But in Numbers chapter 21, there's something else. It's kind of a crazy story. I want to read that. This is Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. They travel from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food talking about the man and the quail. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake And put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. 
crazy story. And it's odd to find this in the Bible. Yeah, there were a lot of snake cults back in the time, and many people, not me of course, but many people have issues with snakes now. And so you have this story of this bronze snake up on a pole. And many artists in the past have come up with um, paintings and other depictions of what this looked like. And this is my family's depiction of what this may have looked like. And I give credit to my daughter Megan, the artistic one, uh, for helping with this. So in this story, Moses raises up the snake. The people who have been bitten look at the snake and then they live. There's a lot of things about this story, though, that I think are really neat, despite the whole snake thing. Um, And I love this story because the people ask God to take away the snakes. Did God do that? No, he didn't. The snakes were still there, but God provided a cure. It's also neat to see how any time God speaks judgment, he provides deliverance. So all of that is significant because when you think about our situation, you think about the stuff that we have to deal with, and so often we pray for God to take those things away, the things that afflict us and that bother us. And sometimes it does happen, but many times God doesn't take those things away, but he provides a cure. So, but still, in spite of all of that, yes, snakes are involved, and so that makes this kind of a creepy story. So why would I bring it up? I bring it up because Jesus references this story in a way that applies in a very significant way to what we're talking about today. In John 3... 14 through 15, Jesus is teaching his followers about the significance of who he is and what he came to do. And he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's referencing this obscure story. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is drawing a comparison between this snake event, snake on a stick in the desert, and what he himself came to do. And this was John John 3, 13 and 14 and 15. And what comes right after that? John 3... 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, looks upon him, will not die, but will have eternal life. This story about Jesus being raised up, first the snake, and then Jesus saying, just like that snake was raised up to save people, so I must be raised up so that people can be saved from their death. Jesus was drawing a very important comparison. The same way God didn't take away the snakes, God doesn't always take away that aspect of our flesh, our human sinful nature that gets us into trouble. So we still have that affliction. Our salvation is secure, but we fall back into patterns where we need 
God's grace, and we need to continue to ask for forgiveness to seek that cure so that our sin doesn't start to take us down. With the cure, we live. The other thing, if you look at Moses in this story, he was okay with God. He wasn't getting bitten by the snakes, but he was surrounded by people who were dying because of this affliction. But he had a cure. And so what did he do? He raised it up so that the people could see be cured. Is it possible that we're supposed to be like Moses also? Aren't we in possession of something, our faith in Jesus Christ, that has been the cure for us, but that is still needed by people around us? Are we lifting Jesus up to those who are dying around us? And, and what does that mean, to lift Jesus up? And I guess one of the visuals that comes to mind for me is when you see a group of cheerleaders doing stunts. And I kind of envision two or three of the cheerleaders lifting one another up on their hands, and she's up there in the air doing tricks and stunts and whatever. The people in the crowd, who are they looking at? They're looking at the one who has been raised up. And that's what we're supposed to do. People aren't supposed to look at us. They're supposed to look at Jesus as we lift him up in our life. On Ascension Sunday, we're not just looking at God raising Jesus from earth to heaven. But what about us raising Jesus up so that others can see him, so that others can see the cure that they need also? And how do we do that? Well, I think of famous people that I know who use their their fame as a platform and as a way to glorify God and, and to raise Jesus up. I think of people like Tim Tebow and Sadie Robinson and um, Chris Pratt, Reba McIntyre, Dolly Parton. I think of Dan Cathy at Chick-fil-A, um, just creating a culture of service and hospitality uh, as a reflection of Christian faith. I think about Savannah and Colt LeBrant, um, social media influencers that have thousands, I think millions of followers, and they routinely speak about Jesus in, to all these millions of people who are watching them. Um, but what about normal people? What about people who don't have that kind of fame? Um, you know, one thing I've always worried about not being great at cars is if I take my car to a mechanic, there is a very high chance I could get really taken advantage of, and a lot of people can. And there are a couple of mechanics here in town that I know are Christian, godly businesses where I don't have to worry if I take my car there. I'm thinking about Daryl Whitten at Crossroads Automotives um, near my office, and I think about the Kettle family with Ma and Pa Kettle. Those businesses known as Christian businesses, uh, Crossroads even has a cross in their logo that I didn't notice for the first 15 years of taking my car there. These are people who are living their life, doing the work they're called to do, but they're glorifying God in their work. I think of our lay leader, Robert Ward, and how he is known by people as a man of integrity in the construction business. People go to him for his wisdom and because they know he's honest in the work that he does. Um, 
And then recently, many of you know, I work for Piedmont, and uh, about six weeks ago, around the height of the whole COVID thing, and we were having the highest number of hospitalizations, and the fear and the hysteria and all of that was at its highest peak. There was a pastor in town, T.J. Boyd, and, and some other people who started this initiative to have local people from Noonan show up at the hospital parking lot one evening, knowing what was going on inside, knowing that visitors cannot go inside, but they wanted to know, they wanted to convey to the workers in the hospital and to the patients who were there that they were loved and that they were supported. And so they congregated in the parking lot and they had this time of prayer horns being honked, has lights were blinking. Um, all of these people coming out in solidarity in prayer for those inside. This was so powerful that Piedmont took a video of all of that happening and developed it into a public spot that they posted on their Facebook page as a way to say thanks to the communities. The amazing thing about this is Piedmont is not a religious organization. It's a secular healthcare organization. But I think it is just amazing that seeing what was done, seeing the emotion and the support and the love that was conveyed had such a powerful impact on them and even on our CEO that they took this as something that was representative to them of the love and the support that all of our communities were giving to the organization. But Jesus was one who was glorified. The, the video moves too fast really recognize any specific individual, but it is very clear what they're doing. They're praising and they're, they're present. It's ministry of presence, of being there. And God was glorified by that. That's the kind of thing that we can do in our work, in our relationships. We can glorify Jesus by being a godly influence. We can raise Jesus up, and we don't even have to speak his name, but we have to behave in a way that reflects the things that honor him and that show that that's what guides us. On Ascension Sunday... We need to remember that we worship a God who is Lord, who is sovereign over all, and that we have access to all the power that he has because he chooses to pour it down on us through the Holy Spirit so that we have power for daily living, so that we have power to raise him up and lift him up. And we need to remember that we have the ability and the calling to raise Jesus up in our own life so that others see what Jesus is all about. So we raise him up so they can see him better and so that they can look to Christ as their cure as well. The band is going to play the closing song called Yes, I Will. And this is a song about despite whatever we're going on, we affirm that as the people of God, we are going to raise him up. We're going to lift him up in what we do, in what we say, and in how we behave.